so ready i'm like the most ready i've ever been okay that's why she's on her phone i bet you're playing games no yeah. <laughs> who does that anymore <laughs> nobody that's the answer uh welcome to who knew welcome we did not do a test run so this might sound like trash yellow, yellow. nice <laughs> <laughs> what you got this week what you doing how, how is it um just the usual working i don't think we did anything oh thanksgiving we worked yep so it, nothing special but happy late thanksgiving for you all yep other than that i don't have anything no pretty low-key week yeah i agree i'm a little bit hungover it's fine that's news <laughs> to me we've been up for a few hours so bullshit that's not news to you <laughs> no, no no i just meant like you you were saying that this morning when we woke up like at four yeah <laughs> yeah a.m yeah 4 a.m after and... our brief two-hour nap yes very mm -hmm. very brief two-hour yep. nap but um yeah i haven't heard that since we woke up later in the day yeah so yeah news to my ears i thought that your slumber was it making it go away it helped oh, for sure but i'm very good. sleepy i think it's also a shot day so i'm pretty low uh -oh. too so i don't know who knows um sure sammy started about five minutes before we recorded this randomly asking what we would do <laughs> in the case of a mass shooting in our neighborhood i'm like <laughs> out of all the people <laughs> to, what would you what would you tell people to do <laughs> shelter in place and shelter in place call 911 well, if they're talking to me, they're already calling 911. Okay, okay, okay. Fair, fair, <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Um, other than that, I uh, I don't have anything else new. I don't think I do either. I'm getting ready to build a, a ghost box, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, did you get everything? No, should I? You keep saying we're getting ready to build, but we have I, none of the supplies. Well, it's a one-day shipping. Like, once I press oh. send, I'm pretty good to go, you know? Yeah, whatever. Just as long as you don't look at our orders on Amazon, I'm fine. Okay. Welcome to Christmas season in 2021. Yes. Don't look at our joint Amazon <laughs> orders. It's I... no longer like don't look at bank statements. It's don't look at Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I am so glad we don't have a joint email because that would give everything away. It's really not fair because every... I can't order anything on Amazon because it all goes to your email. Mm hmm. So I haven't ordered a single gift on Amazon because of that. So I you know can you'll just see tell it. me, delete the email. Yeah. The emails, though, it doesn't say, it just says thanks for your order. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell me what it is. Mm. So I have to like go on Amazon and be like, what the fuck did I order? Because <laughs> I have not been on Amazon the last two hours and it said that it got ordered in the last hour. <laughs> but um, just tell me, be like, just don't look at that email. Pretty much going through Etsy for everything this year, me I think. Me too. 
I only got like two things on Amazon and it was just for stocking stuffers. Yeah. Everything else is through Etsy or like other. Yep. Support small businesses. Yeah. Totally. They're the best. Anything else before we get started? Am I first? You are first. And I do have something else. I should have talked about this with you before. I'm just springing it up on you. I was looking through my emails because I like purge delete after a while. And I saw that I had an email from the horror pack where we get our horror movies from. Mm -hmm. They're like, here's a referral link to send to your friends to get a discount or something like that. So if people, if you send us an email and you want a referral link for horror pack, I don't know how many I have, but. 10 out of 10 recommend it. Yeah. Just hit us up. Email us. I think we just got a new set of movies. We did just get a new set of movies. They're all super lame. I cannot wait to watch them. Super like low-key movies one's called death's giving <laughs> no december that's what it's called death there's thanksgiving one which what is it i i feel like it's something dumb like happy thanksgiving but that's not true it's like deadly thanksgiving or something you know <laughs> how they always like to spin it yeah but uh yeah so if you guys are interested in that this is absolutely not an ad i was just looking through my emails i was like oh that'd be nice i don't have any friends how about our podcast listeners that have the same kind of i mean i do have i have like two friends but they're not into the same like things so they're like oh horror movies ew (laughs) so that's it cool um so this week we're going a little bit more paranormal i'm not quite going ghosty Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm um this is something i saw on tiktok that i wanted to dive into a little bit more that's usually me saying that so i'm glad that yeah you're sharing the tiktok love yeah so i'm gonna give you kind of a brief uh overview and then i am straight up getting pretty much all of my information from like an actual research case study done by dr jim tucker that sounds very official. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be talking about reincarnation. Nice. And I don't know if Sammy believes in that. That that's It's one of those things that's like uh, one part like religious, another part like spiritual, and another part like a little bit sciencey when you talk about energy and like how it works and mm-hmm. like can't be created, destroyed, only mm-hmm. transferred, things like that. So we have had conversations like this before because we've talked about like oh in a past life i felt like i was this mm-hmm. so i feel like i recall when we first talked about this how you thought it could be real but it kind of freaked you out so it was one of those things that you like avoided like aliens thinking about yeah <laughs> exactly um so reincarnation also known as rebirth or transmigration if you've ever heard those terms used is the philosophical or religious concept that the non-physical essence of a living being begins a new life in a different physical form or body after biological death Hmm. Um, so that's like the official definition of it this idea is interesting it reminds me of when we talked about dragons and how it's like so interesting that the idea of dragons is um present among all kinds of cultures and like throughout the ages same with this and i don't know if that's because people want to believe that when you die it's not just over yeah like grandma's gonna still be with us somewhere somehow right or the idea like when you like if you ever had a pet that you got and that pet was like identical to a pet that you had 10 years ago yeah or people are like, oh, my father passed away and he loved birds and I got this pet bird and I swear it's my dad. Yes. 
yeah people love that shit um so this idea i mean you could do an entire podcast just on this um you can see it in you know germany judaism christianity taoism um buddhism hinduism islam <laughs> like i can keep going on like it's it crosses almost every religion in some way or another mm. um so with that in mind i want to tell you the reincarnation story of a man named james leininger okay i sent you this tiktok so you're gonna be tracking it a little bit cool yeah <laughs> she her face is like i hate this no no, no i don't remember this tiktok so this oh. is great um so i'm pretty much reading this case report um, which was a legitimate case study done. Uh, it's called The Case of James Leininger, an American Case of the Reincarnation Type by Dr. Jim B. Tucker. So, James Leininger is the son of Bruce and Andrea Leininger. Uh, they're like a Protestant couple. They lived in Louisiana. Um, and when he was two... Uh, James started making statements and demonstrating behaviors that suggested that he rem remembered the life of an American pilot that was killed during World War II. Um, this man has now been now. identified as uh, James M. Houston Jr. Um, this is the most studied uh, recent Western case of reincarnation, hands down. <laughs> and, like, documented... This little boy? Uh, this little boy. Who's a full-grown man now, oh. just trying to be normal. No longer a little boy. <laughs> um, uh, it's been featured on several television interviews. Uh, his parents eventually wrote a book about their experiences, and um, there's a couple weaknesses just in the timeline of like when their the parents started like researching this and what they could have suggested to him, things like oh, that. But yeah. generally, um, it's pretty well um substantiated i think huh. so uh james was born on april 10th in 1998 um his parents said that the first noticeable incident in this case occurred in february of 2000 when he was 22 months old which is a little under two years like he's just about to turn two years old Mm -hmm. His dad took him to the Cavanaugh flight museum which is outside of dallas and um he was just super stoked about all the planes and in particular the world war ii exhibit was like his favorite they left three hours later and james had uh like got some toy planes and things like that from the museum gift shop and he got this video called uh it's a kind of magic which is about the blue angels which is the navy's flight exhibition team right um James was so pumped about this video that he watched it on repeat for weeks, oh, as kids do. For me, uh, I watched a Fleetwood Mac concert over and over that again? my parents recorded on VHS over and over for weeks. But I guess uh, the Blue Angels are okay, too. <laughs> so <laughs> um, this trip and then that video started or kind of like uncovered uh, this just love for planes that James had. Um, which might have led to some of the knowledge of planes and flying that he tended to surprise his parents with when he would voice them. The video, though, uh, was clearly not the source of any of his information about World War II because the Blue Angels group was founded in 1946, which was after the war had ended. Yeah. Um, 
uh, James and his father made a second trip to the museum later that spring on Memorial Day weekend. And James was, again, super stoked through the entire time there. Um, but as soon as they went into the hangar that housed all the World War II planes, he got really, really quiet and kind of somber, sad. And within two months of the first trip, uh, James developed a habit of saying, airplane crash on fire, which is, a, <laughs> like, That was, like, his damn. favorite thing. Was, yeah. Uh, and he would take all of his toy planes and slam them noise, nose first into the family's co coffee table as he's saying this. Uh, this He repeated this behavior over and over. Uh, there were dozens of scratches and dents on the table from doing this. And um, every time, like along with this, uh, his dad traveled a lot and they would have to drop him off at the airport a lot. And every time that happened, <laughs> James would say, Daddy, airplane crash on fire. <laughs> Which is like... Thanks, son. I can't yeah. wait to go step onto this plane. Mm, this is so exciting. Yeah. Um, this happened repeatedly despite his dad being like, please don't say that to me. <laughs> I don't like that. Gosh. Um, and then around the same time, James started having some pretty intense night terrors, nightmares. Um, his behavior during the nightmare seemed to have involved only screams at first and then included words as well, which were oh, airplane crash on fire. Okay. Little man can't get out. Oh, James. Little would, man can't little get man out. can't get out. Weird. And, he, and he's two when he's saying this. James would shout this over and over while thrashing about and kicking his legs up in the air. And after a few months, he had several conversations with his parents about their dreams, usually as he was getting ready to go to sleep. Uh, he had indicated that they were memories of events that he had experienced in the past. So he didn't see them as dreams. He saw them as reliving memories. Um, he said his plane had crashed on fire and that it had been shot by the Japanese. Interesting. Which, yeah. Two weeks after he made those statements, James said that his plane was a Corsair, which was a fighter plane that was developed during World War II, and he talked about flying a Corsair several times. August 27th of 2000, when James was 28 years, nope, <laughs> 28 months old, his, <laughs> he told his parents he had flown the plane off of a boat. His parents asked him what the name of the boat was, and he said it was the Natoma. After that conversation, his dad went online and was searching for that word, and he discovered a description of the USS Natoma Bay, which was an escort carrier stationed in the Pacific during World War II. What? Okay. <laughs> he printed out that information, and the footer of the printout included the date that he did that. And that's important because um, during this case study, they're really going through the timeline of when the parents gained certain bits of information versus when James told oh, them. Yeah. Right. Um, just to kind of debunk whether they had, like, fed him that information. Right. James's parents asked him a number of times who the little man he was talking about was, if he knew his name, and he always responded with me. He'd say it was me, or he would say James. Uh, a few weeks later, after he gave the word Natoma, uh, his parents asked him if he could remember anybody else who was on the plane, or who was with the little man, and he responded with the name Jack Larson. One day, uh, James was just over two and a half at this point, and his dad was looking through a book that he was planning to give his own dad for Christmas, one called The Battle for Iwo Jima in 1945. Mm -hmm. um, he was looking at this book, 
and James pointed to a picture showing an aerial view of the base of the island where Mount Suribachi, uh, which is like this dormant volcano, sat. Mm -hmm. And James says, that's where my plane was shot down. And his dad says, what? what? And James says, my airplane got shot down there, daddy. And (laughs) a week after that, like so normal, he's just like, yep, that's where that happened. That's where I died. Oh my gosh. Uh Uh-huh. A week after that, uh, James's father talked to a veteran from the Natoma Bay who remembered a pilot named Jack Larson. And he said that uh, Jack flew off one day and never returned. So nobody knew what happened to him. Um, So he was like, fuck, I'm not going to be able to get a hold of this one guy that my son is identifying. Yeah, right. So that was kind of like a dead dead end for him um james keeps having these ongoing nightmares and eventually uh his parents believe him enough to contact a a woman named carol bowman who wrote this book about children's past life memories so Mm -hmm. they contact her and um they start kind of corresponding back and forth and this carol lady uh told his parents to start acknowledging to him that the events that he was describing did happen um but that now it was okay he was safe he was in a different body it happened to his old body this was his new body so that could maybe kind of help him with the nightmares Uh um and this definitely did they grew less violent and less frequent which was good um james's parents said that when he became old enough to draw he started drawing hundreds of battle scenes involving planes uh he signed them all james three the third when his parents asked him about that he said the three referred to not his age because he was three at the time uh but to his being the third james and he continued to sign his pictures that way even after he turned four um he might have thought of himself as the third james because james houston the pilot was james jr oh Mm -hmm. june of 2002 james's parents were interviewed by abc news for a segment that was to be a part of a program called strange mysteries um this episode did not air but there like the the copy of it still exists basically the time of the interview uh, james houston had not been identified Hmm. following the interview James's father corresponded with an ABC producer about the name Jack Larson, looking for that guy uh, that flew with him, possibly. Right. And she had a contact at the Center for Naval History who found a John M. Larson, though it was determined that that was a different dude. Um, but they didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the correspondence between James's father and the producer is useful as documentation that he was looking for this guy at this time. So oh. um, he was looking for this guy after James had identified him. So two months later, James's father wrote a letter to the veteran who had told him uh, that Jack Larson had served on the Natoma Bay. And in the letter, he mentioned this John Larson, again, documenting this part of the search, um, a month after that, his dad attended the first Natoma Bay reunion, which is cool. Um, he goes there and he learns that Jack Larson from Natoma Bay had survived the war and uh, he was not. Interesting. No, he was not at the reunion, but he was still alive and James's father soon went to visit him. Okay. Um, he also learned that the only, the only pilot from the ship that was lost during the Battle of Iwo Jima was a 24 24- one-year-old from pennsylvania named james m houston so that's where he gets this pilot's name and that was the one pilot who died Hmm. very interesting um 
So this caused him to turn his focus to Houston, as documented by a posting that he made on a website looking for information. Um, he learned that Houston did not actually die on Iwo Jima itself. Instead, as the battle continued after the initial assault, he was one of the eight pilots from the ship that took part in a strike against transport vessels in a harbor nearby uh, Chichijima as the Japanese were preparing a buildup of troop replacements and supplies after the initial um, assault. Right. This plane appears to have been cr- to have crashed exactly as James described. Uh, the aircraft action report for the day that Houston's plane was shot down included a chart of the paths that each pilot took. Jack Larson, uh, which was the name that James gave, is shown as the pilot in the plane next to James Houston's. Interesting. As Houston was the only pilot from Natoma Bay killed during the Iwo Jima operation, um, and as his details closely matched James's statements, his parents decided he was clearly the man whose uh, life their son remembered. Huh. Um, James's parents said that he gave other details as well, but no documentation of them exists. Um, those made before Houston was identified. James' mother said that she made notes of his statements, but either lost them or threw them away, and she and her husband wrote, uh, they looked for him when they were writing the book about this, but, um, they ended up losing him. Um, his parents reported that he had knowledge about World War II planes in general, and about the life on Natoma Bay that impressed them. Um, this would be things like, uh, uh, what did he say? They, they were looking at his, his model planes, the toy planes that he had, and mom his mom said, oh, yeah, that's the bomb something on the bottom. And he said, nope, that's called a drop shoot. And, like, knew all these names mm-hmm. of different parts of the planes and had this, like, really intimate knowledge of this specific kind of plane that was, like, he had no way of getting. Like, he was two years old. He didn't have the internet. It was, was like 2000. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like maybe television, but even then, like, what are the chances? What is he watching and, like, actually watching the sponging History up Channel. from this? Yeah. Right? He's watching World War II in color. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that. And this um, Dr. Jim Tucker did a whole entire study on him and um, believes it to be, like, one of the most legitimate cases of reincarnation that they can find uh you can find their book probably on amazon i didn't look um but it his parents book basically outlines this whole process and um the only that's kind of one of the only issues with their story is people tend to think like oh well this was just a money-making scam for them so that they could write this book and make money but let's be real like how much money are they actually making off of it yeah right. and they wrote it years and years after it happened so i don't know um james ended up meeting uh jack larson which was cool and um yeah now he's an adult and he's he still kind of remembers everything but he's just trying to be normal (laughs) <laughs> but this is hmm. definitely cropping back up on TikTok. I've seen like four or five different TikToks about this story. Dang. And uh, yeah, so that is the reincarnation story of James Leininger slash James Houston. Slash James Houston. What's interesting to me is that like this kid is able to like, when you're teaching, I don't know, this is just my ignorant, I guess, assumption of children is that like when you tell them to do things, they like... I feel like they're not very, like, retaining, especially, like, 
specific information. Yeah, you have to be really general. Yeah, be like, I need you and to go like two things put this in the trash. Right. Not, I need you to go do this, 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 and mm-hmm. take out the trash because mm-hmm. then they'll forget half of it. Yeah. So it's like the fact that he can remember like these details about like war. Yeah. Is awful. Well, that's his, the thing is like he was obviously very interested in World War Two in general, and that would explain like a general knowledge. Yeah. But especially at his age. It wouldn't give him the ability to give any kind of details about, like, Natoma Bay specifically. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that is a very specific part of the Pacific, like, engagement that they, like, you you would barely glance over in a history class, you know, Mm -hmm. if that. So, very interesting. And that's all I have for you. That shit's crazy. Isn't it? Cool. Well... I think that's wild. I hope that never happens to our children. That they're not reincarnated. That they uh, don't remember it. Pilots. That'd be fucking weird, especially yeah. if they're like, what did they say? Plane crash or whatever? Oh, yeah. Plane on fire crash. <laughs> he, he, so they found out that his plane was basically hit nose on. So it totally disabled his engine and he went down so fast that he just couldn't get out. So he didn't die in that. Um, he died, like, in the ocean portion. Yeah, so. That's even more fucked up. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sure is. is. great. Mm -hmm. I love it. Are you ready for a real spooky story? Yeah. It's got to do with your favorite musical. Hamilton? Yeah. Has, like, a little bit to do with Hamilton. Yes. But not too much. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the restaurant that is in New York, New York. I every time I looked it up, they gave a different like borough era. Yeah, borough. I was like, Ooh. I'm not gonna. One one said like West Village. The other one said, what is it? Greenwich. 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 I was like, I fucking don't know the difference. Like it's so in I'm New not York. Gonna <laughs> pretend. Just Google it. It's like right. off of some street somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's called One If by Land, Two If by Sea, which is the name itself has a whole story to it. And I'm going to give you like a very, very, very brief overview of it. Uh, I got this from dictionary.com, actually. It is a term, that phrase, I guess, is coined by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in his poem paul revere's ride mm-hmm. it is used to describe the guide quote midnight ride of paul revere we all know we heard that in fucking elementary school right mm-hmm. the british are coming so it was at the beginning of the revolutionary war basically according to this poem paul revere ordered for two lanterns to be placed at the bottom of a church boston tower um if one was lit it meant the british were moving by land if two it meant they were moving by sea mm-hmm. to get to Concord, or I think that's where they were. And basically, th- that's what the poem say says, Please. states. <laughs> but um, it's pretty embellished, so it's just a very interesting like name for a restaurant to be like. This is a really cool poem. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna name my business after it. <laughs> so let's name. Let's talk about the real real reason why this story is important to us like i said it's a restaurant one if by land two if by sea in new york new york it was established the restaurant itself in 1973 it was a quick hot spot in new york and soon became the number five most romantic restaurant in the world 
at least according to their website. Um, do you, that makes me think, you know, anytime you see, like, movies, like, in trailers, it's, like, the number one movie of the year, but it seems like every single movie says that. Yes. So I'm like, I wonder what kind of criteria, or, like, what audience are they, like? It's, like, the New York Times bestseller list. Like, not hard to make that. Yeah, how many are bestsellers? Like, what, what so classifies many. it as a bestseller? Yeah, I have no idea. Do you pay somebody to say, hey, can you put this on my book so people will read it? I bet that helps. Probably. Um... <laughs> Anyways, so the restaurant itself features candlelit tables, a brick fireplace, more than one, a baby grand piano, and even a private garden. The best part about this place is that um, it is, it all operates inside of a carriage house that was built in 1767. So it is a wow. historic landmark. Uh, so the carriage house itself was accompanied by a barn. And I guess, based off of what I was reading, it's all now the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, the history, apparently, is very colorful. Um, it's a huge controversy because it's 1767. Right. So um, let's get into it. Let's go all the way back when Aaron Burr was alive. And he was the attorney general for New York during the 1790s. He housed his coach and horses in this carriage house. Hmm. And if you don't know what makes that so significant, I suggest watching Hamilton. <laughs> um, there are additional mysteries about the carriage house, such as perhaps once having a tunnel cut from the carriage house to the to um, now was Hudson Street, but it used to be where the Hudson River shore was. Okay. Which, if that doesn't make you really sad about how much we've taken away nature, I don't know what will. Um, so the tunnel is barrel vaulted and looks like passageways from the 18th century that was military constructed. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of theories about this, but we'll go on with how it's described. The tunnel is stone lined and it has the same brick and stone as the carriage house and the barn. Which I think is very interesting that you made a carriage house out of stone back in the 1700s. Why? I don't know. I guess back in the day, I thought that they would be like making like Lincoln logs <laughs> for houses, you know? Not wood mm. or wood. Yeah. Not stone. Yeah. Well, obviously, seemed a little stone advanced. Lasts longer. That's true. You're right. Well, anyways, like I was saying, the tunnel has its own colorful history. It was created, possibly, these are theories, to help illegal activities such as smuggle contraband to and from the river shore or it was used during the revolutionary war since it seems to have been built with military ties as like a hideout a bunker I, god knows they probably used it for anything back then um but of all the questions or theories the one that seems the most likely is that it was used in the underground railroad nice um obviously this was to get few fugitive slaves to the carriage house safely and as like a safe spot mm -hmm. on their way up to Canada for freedom. Right. So it was more than likely one of those houses for that. Um, obviously with hundreds of years to pass and history, mm -hmm. lots of things have come and gone to the carriage house, such as at one point there were like vegetable carts and stalls that were along the streets. And then the, oh, this is so gross that they would have like pigs and hogs out on this road to like clean it up. Because, hmm. I don't know. I guess that was fine then. But eventually the carriage house ended up being utilized for housing firemen. 
and equipment because next door there was a firehouse that was eventually put there. So they used the carriage house to house firemen and like supplies, fire engines, because I mean, there were vehicles that were once in there mm-hmm. at one point, or not really vehicles, but carriages, mm-hmm. Aaron Burrs at least. Um, so because of the fire station, the vegetable stands couldn't be there because it's an emergency vehicle and those would cause like issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hogs were soon banned because like obvious health reasons and especially during the how do you say this the c-h-o-l-e-r-a cholera 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 pandemics pandemics epidemics yeah my research said pandemic so um And I pretty much got all of my research from the actual restaurant's website. So if it's fucked up, blame them. In the 1890s, the city sold the carriage house to someone who apparently changed it into something the citizens weren't the biggest fan of, which I'm sure you can see where we're going with this. Um, It was part of the super low-key red light district of New York. And it was considered more discreet than the Tenderloin District that was above Madison Square. The Tenderloin District? Don't Google it. I don't want to. Because you're not going to find what you're looking for. (laughs) (laughs) What what would I be looking for? Prostitutes. Oh. (laughs) What you're finding is... I was going to think... When I searched... Many of them. I, I didn't really look too much into it. I just, like, Googled Tenderloin District, and it was telling me all this shit in San Francisco. I was like, definitely not the right area, so mm-hmm. I don't think this is right. But I eventually figured out that, like, um, yes, it was used for a brothel. So after oh. that, in 1910, the property became a silent movie house, which is a good transition, um, and, like, a theater house, I guess, kind of. Then later into the century, it... This is where it really starts to flip a lot. It went from a bar to a restaurant to a bar, then a restaurant, and yada, yada, yada. Until 1970, when it was purchased by the current owners, who spent several years just restoring it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think anybody really kept it up with it flipping around that much. Mm -hmm. So they actually put the time and the money into it. They found 1800s, like, knickknacks knickknacks, coins, horseshoes, antique bottles, and even original hitching posts. That was there from back in the Dizay. Um, and you can find that now in the bar area. So hmm. that's kind of cool. Um, which leads us to now the establishment of one if by land, two if by sea in 1973. So it took them like three years to restore the place. Right. Um, so why do you think this place I'm talking about it today? It's haunted. It's fucking haunted. <laughs> Super fucking haunted. And it's haunted by pretty popular ghosts. And some say more than like around 20 ghosts haunt this place <laughs> that they are aware of. Um, even one of the general managers, Roseanne Martino, says, quote, I've had experiences, inexplicable experiences. I've been here for eight years and I've seen a lot. Such as there's always drafts, flickering lights, but it goes even further from, like, those normal things that we see on most ghost shows to uh, picture frames tilting, machinery turning on on its own, flying plates, women who sit at the bar report suddenly missing their earrings, and staff members will be pushed and there's nobody around them. Hmm. 
Yeah. Um, according to NewYorkGhosts.com, the pushing is so extreme, one ex-staff member stated, quote, after being shoved up and down the stairs every night by invisible hands, they eventually quit. End quote. Well, yeah. I mean, like, the quote ended before, but, like, they were like, I can't do this anymore after being pushed all right. the time. Um so the ghosts are so active that waitstaff report having attempted to even serve them as guests of the restaurant. Hmm. It's so active that another manager, Kirk Adair, described being in the restaurant is like being in a forest. There's eyes on you that you can't see, but you know things are out there. And maybe you thought you saw them in the corner of your eye, but once you get a good glance in the right direction, there's nothing there. Right. So it's fucking weird. Could you imagine wanting to dine here? No. <laughs> what a weird question. <laughs> I'm just like, this is like the number five most romantic restaurant in the yeah. world. And it's like, this guy is literally saying it's like being in a forest, like you're being watched. Like Jeez. fucking weird. Um, so let's get into some of the 20 some odd ghosts. The first one that is the most popular is Theodosia Burr. Alston? Theodosia. Theodosia, thank you. Mm -hmm. Fuck. I'm going to say this again. <laughs> it's one of the songs in Hamilton. Mm. Her. Go ahead. Uh, Theodosia Burr Alston, who is Aaron Burr's daughter. Apparently, one trip to visit her father, this is a little bit of backstory of her, her boat, the Patriot, disappeared in a fog near Cape Hatteras. It's believed that it may have been overtaken by pirates, but Aaron Burr insisted that it merely crashed due to a severe storm, and he believed that his daughter was dead. So regardless, Theodosia, her disappearance and the most possible death of 1813 caused for Aaron Burr to feel as if he had been, quote, severed from the human race, end quote. He was really stricken by his daughter's death. Mm -hmm. And so then when Aaron Burr got remarried, blah, blah, blah. Just watch Hamilton to get the rest of the story. Damn. But anyways, she's dead. So her ghost is rumored to take women's earrings. So she's the one that's like, oh, that's so pretty. Thank you. Um, and then she also goes up and down the stairs. You can see her. So I guess unsurprisingly, the next famous ghost is Aaron Burr himself. Uh, uh, he died from a stroke in 1834, and he is suspected to be the one who throws and breaks the plates. Um, there's another woman who's described to be dressed in all black who goes down the staircase and will disappear in thin air. And according to NewYorkGhosts.com, one paranormal investigator confirmed that this apparition is a woman who happened to trip over her dress and fell down the stairwell and died from breaking her neck. Yeesh. Yeah. So, um, however, when I tried to click on that source to find further information, the link no longer existed. Oh. And then I went to like the website that had it like posted so i went to gothamag.com uh and i tried to search for like one if by land two if by sea aaron burr and i couldn't find anything so i don't know if they just ended up taking it down but interesting story if it's true um another ghost is Flo, a zfield follies girl i have no idea i don't know how to say it so Apparently, if you're not aware, a Z-Field Follies girl is, um, a, like, choir and showgirls from theatrical Broadway from 1907 to 1931. Hmm. So she was probably there when it was, like, a silent film house. Um, she chills out, though, in the Constitution Room. No idea what that is. But the staff often light a candle for her. 
I guess they find some kind of like sentimental meaning mm. with her. Um, there's also a blacksmith who likes the upper stories of the building where apparently he lived at. Uh, if you're interested in going to this location, you can obviously go to New York, Google it. Their address is literally everywhere, especially if you plan on getting engaged or for wedding packages, uh, anything else you need in a restaurant setting. But like I said, they're number five most romantic in the world. So oh, I think you should get literally the first thing other than like restaurant. It's like wedding packages. Like there's apparently it's a destination and I've never known people want to get married there. How do you get married there? You just look Weird. them up. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's all I have. I love it. I guess I we got to go there. Yeah. I feel like I got this idea off of, I feel like we were watching like something on TV, probably like Mysteries at the Museum or something stupid like that. But, and then I got really upset because a major podcast, I can't remember who it was, had done an episode about Didn't it. Haunted Places do them? Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. And I was so mad because I was like, well, fuck, now I can't do it. So I'm waiting. I waited a couple of weeks. <laughs> is it expensive? I feel like it is. Let's see. Menu. Yeah. A lot of the reviews that I looked on Yelp, they were like, this is like some people were like, this is so good. You have to go here for the experience. And then other people were like, I can cook this at home. This is so not worth the money. Right. So, I don't know. I guess it depends on your level of expertise or expectations. But it is, like, I, uh, I'm i not a foodie, but, like, somebody had posted about how it's, like, a part of, like, some group of, like, you must go to this restaurant before you die kind of a thing. Like, it's part of, like, those, like, oh, do you know what I'm talking about? Like a, like a food. Like a bucket list? Yeah, like a food bucket list. Like, food restaurant bucket list. Like, restaurants you must eat at before you die. Uh, yeah, before you die. What the fuck? What? One if by land, two if I see three course. So if you get the three course meal, mm -hmm. how much do you think it is per person? I can't remember. I feel like it's like 200. 125. Yeah. I'm guessing that's one appetizer, one entree, and a dessert. I don't even see desserts on here. It's probably <laughs> like appetizer, salad, and then dessert. Or oh. not dessert, entree. Probably. And then, like, one guy said that he went there for, like, a business meeting, not realizing, like, he was invited there. Oh, and he, sucks. like, didn't realize the price tag until he got there. And he's like, this, like, the cheapest steak I could get was, like, $40. Yeah. And it was a la carte. So. What? <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I mean, it was good. He gave it five stars. He's like, it was really fucking good, but just be prepared to yeah. cough up some dough. A seven-course tasting menu is one 60 per person Ooh. And but i that, mean that's like the melting pot you know what yeah, i mean yeah that includes let's see one two three four five six seven that is um organic scottish salmon gravla i don't know what that is seared atlantic scallops champanel pasta i don't know what that is um pan roasted branzino branzino it's baby squash. Ew. <laughs> and beef Wellington, a cheese tasting, and a chocolate souffle for one sixty. Oh my god. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, but it'd be I... fun to go to, but jeez. That would be one of those loan. where it's like we're really splurging. Yeah. Maybe when we get money. Ten one year day. anniversary. We we're fine. 
<laughs> no, I mean, like, we don't have money to go just spend $300 on a restaurant. Yeah, trip, no. So. No, no, that's not real fiscally responsible right now. No, not at all. Especially <laughs> when you're like, oh, maybe we should have kids someday. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. That's oh, awesome. This was a shorter episode. Oops. I, I liked it. I already know what I'm going to do, not next week, because next week is true crime, but the week after. Yeah. I got an email from Ghost Hunts USA. They added six new locations. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, and one of them I had never heard of before, and it looks Are there any good ones in Colorado? Weird. Stop it. I'm sorry. That's why I didn't... It's like, that's why I didn't didn't tell you. you. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) Um, Let me see if I can find it. It doesn't matter. I can show you later. Cool. Um, I don't have anything else, so... Yeah, I don't either. Just email us if you want those horror pack things, whatever, and we'll send you the link back. And you can do that at uh, whonewpodcast666 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at whonewpodcast and on Patreon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's all I got. Everybody left the room, so I guess we'll just say bye. Okay, goodbye.